Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Matthew, Matthew, we've been doing this since September, so welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're we're so glad that you're here. Um, As you recall, Last week we had we had three uh, three people. We had the leper, then centurions, and and and, uh, and Peter's mother-in-law. That was a couple weeks ago. My sermon title today is "Disciples and Demons." Disciples and demons, and we're going to be in chapter eight of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, you know, just just last week. Jesus had a couple people that came to him and wanted to be his disciples. Actually, they were already disciples, already following Jesus, but they wanted to be part of his inner circle. Remember? And Jesus, what did he do? He actually cautioned them. He kind of discouraged them. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his hands. You know, Jesus wasn't allowing walk-ons into his leadership team. And he's cautioning them because actually, if you take a look at his, his early apostles, all of them, with the exception of the apostle John, died a martyr's death. And we talked about how fortunate we are to live here at this time in this wonderful state. I mean, not only, some people come down to Florida for the sunshine. You know, some people come down because the tax, tax limit is low. Some people because of the politics. But we have a, a wonderful religious freedom here in the United States. And Florida is no exception. It's probably the, probably the asterisk in all of it. Because uh, it, it's almost impossible not to hear the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about swear words because we've got television, we've got radio, we've got wonderful churches in the area. We live in, a, in an area where uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you have to worry about persecution. At the same time, the Bible says to him that much is given, much is expected. So there's an expectation that the Lord has on our opportunity to be a, a witness for Jesus Christ as well. So let's take that seriously too. Um, you know, in Nigeria, North Korea, in places in the Middle East, to be a Christ follower is a, is a dangerous thing to do. When a person decides to follow Jesus, they're literally understanding that they could, they could die as a result of, of being a, a martyr. And the Apostle Paul said it. He said, it's no longer I that live, that, but Christ lives in me. And that's an attitude that we have to have as well. Even though we're not called to suffer for Christ because of persecution, we need to be able to, to, to give the cup of cold water in Jesus' name if, if necessary. So today we're going to continue from last week. We noticed last week, remember, that large crowds were following Jesus. That's how it started. And then he got distracted because people came to him asking to, to follow him. But he said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. But he was distracted last week. And this was the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you remember, we said that great crowds were pressing in on him. Jesus would heal everybody that came to him. He always had the time, but he was, he was tired. And we're going to see today um, that, that Jesus is so tired that he actually falls asleep. He's going to take a boat with his disciples to the, to the other side. And again, the topic of my message today is disciples and demons. And what we're going to do is we're going to take it scripture by scripture, phase by phase, um, so that We can follow along. Verse 23 of chapter 8 reads this. It says, Now when he, that's Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. 
And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, for we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, if we were preaching just on that today, would we have another 10 verses to go? If we were preaching just on that, we could, we could name this, uh, this topic, Fouling Jesus Can Be Frightening. <laughs> Fouling Jesus Can Be fr Frightening. In fact, in the, in the message translation, in the message translation of this, uh, of this very verse, it says, Then he got into the boat, his disciples with him. The next thing they knew, they were in a severe storm. A severe storm. The next thing they, they knew. So Jesus and his disciples get into the boat. The, the little village of Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is where Jesus lived. He spent a lot of time here. So he knew this area very well. Uh, and the disciples, remember, were fishermen. Most of the disciples, most of the apostles of Jesus uh, came from that area. And they were used to the sea. They were out on the sea all the time. And these are the very fishermen that go out on the sea and a storm comes. And they say, oh my goodness, we are going to die. That's how bad the storm was in. Uh, the, uh, let's put it this way. I, I think if, if the apostles are employed by Jesus, every good employer wants to make sure his employees are in a safe work environment, right? I mean, that was one of the things I had at Ford Motor Companies. I kept on going to, especially when I was a manager, uh, is they always wanted us to go to the safety classes to make sure that we had a safe working environment for the employees. Well, the apostles had a reasonable expectation of safety, and they get into the boat. Jesus told them to get into the boat, and the next thing they know, this, this, this storm comes up. And it comes suddenly, it comes in suddenly. That's again, the message translation that I read earlier. They got into the boat, the disciples were with, and the next thing they knew, the next thing they knew, there was a storm. And when you think about it, that's how storms come into our lives, isn't it? I mean, just think about the storms in our life. It could be something personal. It could be something health-related. Maybe it's a phone call you get. But you get up in the morning and you have your agenda planned for the day. You know where you're going to go for lunch, maybe, maybe the afternoon you're going to go ahead and get in the car and go shopping, or maybe you're going to make a few phone calls or, or do some, whatever it is. But then the storms of life hit, and whatever it is, all of a sudden that agenda goes out the windows. The only thing that's important is navigating through the storm. How are you going to get to the other side? Are you truly going to perish? Is this the end of it? Is this the end of everything that you always knew? It could be all kinds of things. In personal terms, it could be a heart attack, a stroke, a fall, diagnosed with cancer. It could be a phone call. Maybe suddenly somebody passes away, a child, a son, a daughter, a grandson. Something happens, and we know that storms happen in our life. We are not immune. We are disciples of Jesus, but so were these that were in the boat. And if they were employees of Jesus and they had a reasonable expectation of safety in the workplace and they weren't immune, then we're not immune as, as well. I remember so well the heart attack that I had. It was 20 years ago. I was a young man. I was in great shape. And all of a sudden, there was something in my chest. I thought it was a rumbling in my stomach. I thought there was maybe indigestion of some kind. And as it, as it started happening, it became very obvious what was happening. What I was thinking is, this can't happen today. I'm, I'm busy. 
I, I've, got, I've got an agenda. I was a pastor. I was supposed to see people. I had a meeting at 10 o'clock that morning, and, and my wife is driving me to the hospital, stopping at all the stop signs. So I said, no, don't, don't stop at the stop signs. I got to get to the hospital. But, but it changes everything, these storms of life. And you've experienced, all of you, I could ask each one of you, and you would be able to tell me about a storm in your life. It could be a sickness, maybe the death of a spouse, maybe somebody very, very special to you, maybe personal. You know, in Florida, we have these storms. They call them hurricanes, remember? And, and hurricanes can be tad, but, but let me tell you, I, I come from the Midwest, and I prefer hurricanes over tornadoes any day, any day. See, with a hurricane, you get a little bit of notice. You know, you see the storm, you have this cone of indifference or whatever it's called, you know, it, it could hit anywhere in Florida, but at least you know something is coming, right? And you get a little bit of warning. You know there's a warning because if you go to Publix, there's nothing on the grocery shelves anymore. So that's the warning in itself. Even if you didn't watch TV, you would know by just going to Publix and seeing that there's no water left on the shelves. So you have a little bit of warning, but that's not true in the Midwest. It's not true in Tornado Alley. Back in 1965, I was living in Illinois. I was just a, just a young boy. And, and back then with tornadoes, we didn't have the warnings you have today. Back then, my mother would send me outside and said, Kenny, go look up in the skies. There's a storm coming. That was, our, that was her barometer. I was much more accurate than the people on the news. I mean, I could look up in the sky. If the sky, if the the sky was clear, we, we were in pretty good shape. Well, there was one day I went outside and I saw the funnel cloud. I actually saw it. Now, from, it was probably two or three miles away. It's kind of hard to determine how far things are away. From my perspective, it looked like smoke coming out of the out of the trees, just this big cloud of smoke. But then if you look closely, you could see the rotation. And it was a, a tornado. It was April of 1965. There was a tornado outbreak, outbreak that happened in 1965 that has never happened before or any time since. It, it started in Iowa and through Illinois, through Indiana and Ohio. The storm produced 55 confirmed storms, meaning they touched down on the ground in a matter of 24 hours. It was April 10th to 12th in 1965. April 11th, that Sunday, right in the midst of the storm was Palm Sunday. So it's called the Palm Sunday tornado outbreak. You can look it up on Wikipedia if you're so inclined. You may have heard about it. There were 266 people that were killed. 266 people that were killed that this was their storm of life. They didn't know about it the day before. Some people didn't even know it by the time it hit them. There were people that were sleeping on the second and third floor of their houses, and the tornado came and took their house away completely. I remember my dad taking us out to a neighboring town. Our town didn't have any damage, but the town next to us did. And the neighborhood that he took us into, it was like sticks. It was like just sticks everywhere. You could every now and then you could see something that you recognized, a car turned upside down or a bathtub sitting on its side, but the houses were, were completely gone. You know, storms, storms don't give us warning. The apostles had no warning when they got into the boat. The storms on our life don't give us any warning. It doesn't matter whether you're the sinner or a saint, the rich or poor, young or old. Storms don't play favorites. Now, as we get back to our scripture today, in this storm of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was obviously in control, but he was sleeping in the midst of the storm. And I love that. 
And people say, well, why was he sleeping? Well, some people say, well, he was testing his disciples. I think he was sleeping because he was tired. I mean, he had just gotten done with the Sermon on the Mount. He had just, the very verses before this, said that people were coming to him and he was healing them all and basically said, let's go to the other side. He needed to get away from the crowd. He was tired. You see, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He could cry. He could bleed. He could get tired. He could get hungry. And Jesus was tired and hungry, and he was in the back of the boat, and he was asleep. The other question that a lot of people have is, do you think Jesus knew there was a storm coming? Well, sometimes people say, well, obviously, yes. But no, probably, probably, but we don't know definitively because Jesus, it said that Jesus humbled himself and became a man. You know, God hears all of our prayers and can answer all of our prayers. The Bible says that God knows when a sparrow falls from a tree. But Jesus humbled himself. He, he backed away from some of his omniscience, of his omnipotence in order to be able to humble himself and became a man. But I, I think he probably knew there was a storm coming because this is a, a tremendous lesson for us. It was a storm coming and Jesus was exhausted. He needed to get some sleep and he was sleeping in the back of the boat. The disciples come to him and they say, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But Jesus said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was calm. Now, what's interesting is verse 25 says, they believed that they were going to die. These were fishermen. All of Jesus, most of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They were hardened fishermen. They were on the Sea of Galilee. This is where they came from. Six days a week. Six days a week. The only day they didn't go out was on the Sabbath. They were out there fishing. They were in there <laughs> the storms because they needed to fish in order to provide for their family. The Sea of Galilee is a relatively small lake. It isn't even a large lake. It's called a sea, but it's really just a small lake. But there's mountains around it. Now, I could tell you about the mountains around it and why the storms come up, but it's more important to understand the purpose of the story. Jesus gets up after they say, Lord, save us, we're perishing. They thought they were going to die. Think about how that storm must have been. How strong that storm must have been. They probably, if it was a sailboat, they took down the sails. If they had oars, they were trying to oar and get the boat turned into the waves so that it went in topside. They were panicking. They thought they were going to die. Now Jesus gets up. They wake him up. And Jesus does not say, oh my goodness, I think you're right. I think we're going to die. No, he, he doesn't say that. He says, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? That's an amazing question. I mean, it really is. It, uh, there's all kinds of reasons to be afraid. Is Jesus basically saying that faith is the opposite of fear? Is that what? I don't think so, because faith is not the opposite of fear. There's a lot of good reasons to be afraid. I mean, there really is. The Bible says don't worry, but it doesn't say don't be afraid. I mean, there's a lot of reasons we can be afraid. Fear is sometimes good. If I'm traveling and somebody's driving and they're going 135 miles an hour, um, I tell them to slow down because I'm afraid, right? If I go over 35, my wife tells me to slow down, you know, in a 35-mile zone, you know. So there's, there's good reasons sometimes to be afraid. Being afraid is, is life-saving. There's, there's reasons why we are, we are fearful sometimes. Actually, this is more about trust because faith and trust go together. When we have faith, we trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus regardless of the outcome of the storm. 
because he's the one that holds our life in his, his hand. Uh, the biggest issue of the story is not the, the biggest issue of the story is not the storm. The biggest issue is all about trust. Will you trust the one we follow to provide us through the storms in life? Do we trust Jesus? Do you really trust Jesus? But more than that, the issue is, will we trust his protection and care even when he does not appear to be paying attention? You see, that's what happens, is that we have these storms in life sometimes, and we pray. If you're faithful, you pray, and you give it up to the Lord, and you wonder why God isn't answering. All of us have gone through periods of time when we were praying specifically about a specific situation and we're praying for a specific outcome and that outcome doesn't seem to be coming and we wonder whether God is even paying attention is he sleeping in the back of the boat but Jesus asked the question why are you afraid you see the disciples had witnessed what Jesus could do he healed everybody that came to him. There was, he, had, he didn't struggle when he cast a demon out. He just cast a demon out. He didn't struggle with it at all. He didn't struggle with it at all. But the Bible tells us to have faith. And Jesus says, you of little faith. But what does the Bible say about faith? Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says that faith is being sure of the things that we can't see. See, so faith and trust are closely related. Faith and trust are closely related. Before we leave this message, notice the last few words. The men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, the disciples are amazed. We're going to come back to that verse again. We're going to compare it to what the demons say. Such a powerful display over creation led them to ask, Who can this be? You know, it's interesting, the disciples we knew were good Jewish faithful men, and they knew the scriptures, but had they known the scriptures completely, they would have also known Psalm 89. Psalm 89 verses 8 and 9 says, O Lord our God, who is mighty like you, your faithfulness surrounds you, you rule the raging sea. When waves arise, you still them. You calm them. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was demonstrating that he is the Lord our God. He's calmed the seas. Let's take a look at the next section here. Immediately after this passage about the storms of Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. Verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So what's interesting is we don't know much about these two demon-possessed men. We know that they're in the tombs and they're exceedingly fierce, but they're possessed. I mean, they're, uh, in, in Mark and in Luke, it talks a little bit more about these men. They, these men, they, they, they could break chains. They could, they could do things. They had almost supernatural power but they were possessed. They were being tormented by these, these demons. You know, often we have to understand that our struggles in life are really about these spiritual forces. The Bible is very, very clear that there is a spiritual force that is contrary to us. It's against us. It's not equal to God, don't get me wrong, but it's contrary to us. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where our conflict is. That's what's contrary to us, and that's what's contrary to these two men. What's interesting in this story, as we continue to read, is that if you listen to the commentaries, if you listen to most people talking about it, in fact, I'm not going to spend much time on these two men that are freed from these demons. We don't know how long they were possessed, how long they were being tormented by these demons. We're going to focus on these, this swine and what happens to them and what happens to Jesus and what he has to say. But these two men had been tormented by these two demons and Jesus sets them free. Notice that the demons have to say, they say, what have we to do with you? The demons are tormenting these poor men, want to be left alone. And they say this, what have we got to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? It's interesting. Do you ever listen to, uh, to the Bible on, on audio? Um, every now and then, uh, my wife especially likes the, uh, the dramatized version. The dramatized version, what they'll do is they have some music on it and they'll change the voice. Sometimes they have multiple voices. I, I was listening to this passage on the audible and the person that was reading it, there was not, no music going on, but the person who was reading it decided that he was going to sound like the demon. Okay, so he said, what have we got to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? And it's like, I'm listening to this thing. How does he know what a demon sounds like? I mean, <laughs> how does he even know what a demon sounds like? But he's, he's trying his best. I understand that. But look at the contrast. Remember, we taught, we, I said, this is what the apostles said. We're going to contrast that with what the demons say. The apostles said in verse 27, who can this be? that even the winds and the waves obey him. Who can this possibly be? The demons say, Jesus, you son of God. See, the demons knew something the apostles had not yet fully come to grasp with, and that was the divinity of Jesus Christ, of his purpose coming as the Messiah, as the son of God. Let's continue and see what Jesus actually does. Now, a good way off of them, there was a herd of many swine that were feeding, so the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. There's a lot of unusual passages today. I mean, there really are. This is the only place in the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible. In fact, you can include the concordance and the maps, okay? And nowhere in the entire Bible is there any other passage of demons in swine or any animal. I mean, there's, there's a talking jackass, but other than that, I mean, that's not demonic. I mean, we don't see that anywhere else in the scriptures. This is the only place that we see this. So let's, there's a lot of things we don't know, but let's go through the things that we do know. Number one, we know that the demons knew who Jesus was, right? That's what I just said. They call him the Son of God. Also, number two, we know that Jesus has absolute power over them. Jesus can choose to cast them out or he can decide to let them stay. The demons are completely powerless to resist. Every time somebody came to Jesus for healing, he healed them. Every time a demon-possessed person was presented before Jesus, Jesus cast the demon out. They were powerless. Jesus says, go, and they go. Number three, this is interesting. Talk about my book on prophecy. The demons knew that at some time in the future, they would be judged, and they would be punished for their rebellion. It says, have, they say, have you come here to torment us before the time? 
You see, they knew that at some time in the future, their fate was sealed. They had a time on earth, a time for a while, but there would be a time when they would be judged. That's verse 29. And here's the other thing we know. This is pretty much, because there was a herd of pigs, it reminds us that we're in Gentile territory. Remember I said that Jesus was going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He was going to go from Capernaum over to Gentile territory. We assume this is Gentile territory because there's a herd of pigs. Pigs were unclean animals for the Jews, so the Jews would not be keeping a herd of pigs. If it was Jewish territory, there would, no be, there would be no herd of pigs. So this was Gentile territory. Here's a couple of things we can assume. 60-70% at least. The fact that the demons pleaded to be sent into the pigs show that they, demons preferred to inhabit something living. We can assume that somehow being in something living maximizes their ability, gives them some power, some ability to communicate or do something that they couldn't do if they were just a spiritual being. If they're a spiritual being, they have to interact with spiritual beings. But if they take on a life form, they have the ability to interact with other life forms. Just a guess. Number six, no, this is the last one. The, the pigs running down the hill and drowning was likely a surprise to the demons. I like that. Likely the demons did not enter the pigs thinking that they were going to be drowned. There's something about this inhabitation by demons that caused this herd of swine to run into the sea. Uh, this, 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 these verses are, the companion verses are in Mark and in Luke. And in Mark says this, it says, and the herd numbering about 2,000. That's a lot of lots a lot of pigs. 2,000 rushed down the steep bank to the sea and drowned in the sea. The indication there is the pigs did it. It wasn't the demons that did it. It was the pigs that ran into the sea. Uh, the other account is in, is in the Gospel of Luke. And it says, they rushed down the steep bank and the lake and they drowned. And this is, the, like I said, the only account in the Bible that has this, this demonic possession of an animal. So we can't read too much into it, but there's a few things that we can assume based on what we know about demons, at least, and the demonic. Let's finish up. Verse 33. This is interesting. Then those who kept them, talking about these Gentiles, the people in the city that kept these pigs, 2,000 pigs, that's got to be a, a pretty big herd, those who kept them fled, and they went into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demonic-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from the region. Now, before we go, realize they told him about the pigs, but they also told him about the demon-possessed men. The men who had been possessed or had been tormented by these demons were set free. They told them that, but they also told them they lost 2,000 pigs, and this is what happens. Now see, while this, this again seems odd, re remember that it's not only the Gentiles that asked Jesus to leave. Over in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and an event probably that happened just before this, but it's not in Matthew, it is in Luke. The people of the Jews of Nazareth, it says in verse Luke 4, uh, Luke 4 uh, 29 says, the people of Nazareth rose up and thrust him, that's Jesus, out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. So the Jewish people in Nazareth, seeing the power of Jesus and seeing that he was claiming to be the son of God, the son of man, what Daniel had basically said about the Messiah, knowing that he had, was, had miraculous powers, they're ready to throw him off the cliff. 
the pigs having the demons come then decide to throw themselves off the cliff. It's just kind of interesting. It's not only, it's not only the Gentiles that don't want anything to do with this holy man, this Jesus of Nazareth. It was the people in Nazareth themselves that wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Often the supernatural does that to us. I mean, there have been people that I have talked to about Jesus Christ, telling them that Jesus Christ can come into their life and completely change their life, that I was just like them, that they could change, that they could have a new life, they could be born again. And their response is similar to here. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'd rather you just go jump off a cliff than talk to me anymore because I don't want to hear about the miraculous. I don't want to hear about change. I don't want to hear about God. I want to be left to, my, to myself. You know, often we read the verses that we read today and we see the obvious. And seeing the obvious is great. Jesus can quiet the storms in our life, and that's, that's pretty obvious. However, I tell you that this passage that we read today is really not about Jesus. I'm, I'm really not about our life and our storms, but it's about Jesus. It's about the divinity of Jesus Christ, the great power and authority of Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the God-man. He is the Emmanuel, the God with us that was promised by the prophets. He suffered and died for our sins on the cross, and he rose again, and he's coming back again. This is what this passage is about. Although the meaning of the passage is really about Jesus, there's implications for us. And we see the implications. If Jesus can calm the, the seas, if he can calm the storms in, in the sea, then he can also calm the storms in our life. We can come to Jesus. He can do miracles. He can do miracles in our life if we have faith and we trust him. As I, I mentioned trust earlier. You know, Jesus wants us to trust him. He wanted the disciples to trust him in the midst of the, of the storm. We talked about trust and faith and how that's interacted. In closing today, um, there's a poem. It's also a song, but I can't sing, so I'm just going <laughs> to read the words of the poem. But it impacted my life when I came to Christ. This was almost 40 years ago. It was a song that was being sung on the radio, and I remember actually stopping the car and listening to the song because it had such an impact on me. You probably remember the, 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 the song as well. It's called Footprints in the Sand. One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord, and across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For in each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One set belonged to me and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed that many times along the path of life, there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of my life. This really bothered me, so I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, I said, that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But, but I noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times I needed you most, you should leave me. And the Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never, never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I was carrying you. My friends, remember to trust Jesus. He is the one that will carry you. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. 
You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.